Are you ready? We're going to do a book report. It's called Book Report, 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Book Report. Hi, and welcome to The Improvement Project, a podcast about dabbling in self-improvement 30 days at a time. On today's episode, we give our book report on 10% Happier by Dan Harris. I'm Dr. Peggy Malone, a healthcare provider and human being trying my best to be better and encouraging others to do the same. I'm in London, Ontario, Canada, and with me is my much more disciplined friend, Jenny. So disciplined, in fact, that I finished the book on time for our book report, which made me feel great. That's me, Jenny Kaus, a marketing professional from St. Thomas, Ontario. I'm a small town gal and a big believer in the power of habits. I will do my best to whip our guinea peg into shape and hold her accountable to habit changes that she will undertake one month at a time. I'll be playing along too, and as we take on a new habit each month, we hope to inspire you to become more disciplined, more consistent, happier, healthier, more productive, and overall, your own best self. This month, our monthly challenge revolves around mindfulness and meditation, and we are challenging each other and you to commit to meditating for 10 minutes a day using a meditation app. We're three weeks into the daily meditation habit now. Have you been keeping up with the habit, Peg? I have, but I had a setback, sadly. (gasps) Oh no, what happened? Uh, Well, it was actually for a good reason. What I know about myself, and we've talked about this, is that If I'm in a good routine, I get up, I do my routine, the meditation is part of it now, it's just lovely. Well, on the weekend, I went to uh, Bolton near Toronto to visit my friend Allie, it was her birthday, and we had a really fun time, but I got there midday, and what I've learned is I should have done the meditation in the morning, which I didn't, because John was home, and we were having different morning routine, and I didn't do it, and I thought, oh, I'll just do it tonight, no big deal. Well, then, we ended up her and our other friend Mars ended up staying up late and having some drinks and having Aww. fun times. And which is so nice. And it was super fun. And all of us had been making jokes that, you know, we're little old ladies now and we'd be in bed by 10 p.m. Well, then the next thing I look at my watch, it's 1.36 and I hadn't oh. done my meditation. So Aww. because it was after midnight, it means that I lost my streak, which made me feel sad in one way, but I really enjoyed the time with my friends and uh, getting caught up. So I wasn't too, too sad. I got right back after it the next day. Well, good for you. And I think that in a case like that, when you're having such a good time, I think that that definitely overrules it. Well, I hope so. And really, it was super fun. And there's something about that we've been talking about in terms of mindfulness about being in the moment. And we were so much having fun and staying in the moment that I was not doing that thing where Ah. you live in the past or go into the future. I wasn't focused on what do I got to do in the next five minutes. So I really feel like perhaps that's a positive piece out of this little bit of a setback. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that's a great one. How about you? How have you been doing? Well, I'm, it's actually, it's gone really well. And I'm you're just crushing at, it, crushing it, crushing it. It is going well. So I will say I've, I'm just looking at it right now so that I'm accurately report. Oh, it's more than I thought. Okay. So today will be day 26 of my, the current streak I'm on because I started a little bit before, uh, we started our challenge. I got awesome. like, a, I gave myself a little bit of a head start and got going on it. Awesome. So today will be 26 days in the streak that I'm on. And that feels really good. Like I feel great looking at that. And I would be definitely sad to break it at this point. And it feel like I'm, I'm definitely feeling the difference in my daily life. Um, you know, as you say, like it's kind of 
put a little distance between stimulus and response. That's been awesome. Um, so yes, like in terms of data, I, it's going awesome. That said it, I will not say it's been easy. Like data wise. Yes. I'm check, check, but it has been hard. Like there's a lot of days where I sit down and I maybe get like one solid decent minute out of it, out of the 10 that I'm doing. Um, so you're I mean, also it's in going... a really busy time in life too right now. Is that part sure. of what's happening? Um, it might be, it might be. And I think, and I mean, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the book, but in 10% happier, Dan Harris talks about this a little bit where you kind of, there's ebbs and flows to meditation. And, and I find like, I'll go for three days and I'm just not feeling like doing it. Um, but I mean, I'm always glad that I did, but there's definitely days that are harder than others, but I'm, yeah, it's, I, and I, like I've said before, I've really wanted to do it in the morning. I am in the pattern of doing it at night before bed and it's helping me wind down. But I think I'd really like to bring that sense of calm to start my day. Okay. So, so as we, as we move out of this monthly challenge where you've gotten to this habit of doing it in the evenings, do you feel like you'll make a change and try and do it in the morning or is it just your world works better right now to do it in the evening, especially with having a five-year-old and a busy life? And I still want to do it in the morning. Okay. I definitely want to. And I think the other challenge is too, is Jeff's really enjoying, um, the evening meditation. So, I mean, that's a factor too. There's been a couple of days where I did it in the morning and then at night I go to go to bed and he's like, are we, Aww. are we not meditating? <laughs> and then I feel cool. badly because like I, once I've got my 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm not going for gold stars here. Like I did it. Check, check. Like I did not. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yes, let's do some more. So Anyhow, but yeah, so it's been good. I'm well, that, glad. I'm really glad we chose this one. Good, yeah, me too. And that that business of it sometimes being difficult resonates with me as well. There's been times when I've sat down and I I still have that monkey mind that's going through my to do list, and I have to keep reminding myself co- to come back to my breath. And not even once in ten minutes do I feel like I I got to a space where things were calm. But I do every time feel better at the end of 10 minutes that I sat there and kept yes. coming back. So there's something something about the discipline of just keep it coming back. It's like your, yes. the analogy you gave a couple of episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode, about telling the puppy to sit over and over again. Yes. And I remind myself too, it's meditation practice, not meditation perfect. Oh, I love that. So good. Yeah. So I like that. So speaking of, just mentioned Dan Harris. Today's the day for our book report. Yay, book report. Yay, book report. So our book for this month was 10% Happier by Dan Harris. And that is the book that both of us read. Um, And we are going to talk about that book in the podcast today. And what I did, so we read the book and then I went online and I did a quick search uh, much like our friend Gretchen Rubinwood, and I looked up some book club questions to spark us to have some discussion about this book. Um, so that said, we've taken a look at some of these questions. We're not going to answer all of them that were in this list that I found, um, but we'll go through and talk about some. And I think it'll give listeners a way to maybe get, even if maybe they didn't read the book, a way to kind of understand the gist of the book and what we got out of it from from this segment so yeah definitely with no further ado it's time for a book report question number one i'm gonna lay it out there go girl dan harris opens 10 percent happier by talking about the destructive chatter of the voice in his head what is your internal narrator like 
describe your inner voice. How does the voice influence your day and how you react to events? What do you think, Peg? Well, this is a cool question because I know that I have a lot of self-talk and I think everyone does, but I don't think very many people actually sit down and think about what is it that this voice is saying on a regular basis and what is the self-talk that I'm bringing to the table every day? And because I've made a conscious effort to be more positive in my self-talk, more than negative, especially over the last five or 10 years, I know that there's certain things that I do say to myself, especially in situations where I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed. And one of them is if I'm in a situation where something's happening and there's a million things going on, I sometimes will say it right out loud, but I am saying it in my brain. I say, be calm. And it's very helpful. It's one of those like things. Just, that's, like, just that? like that. Be calm. And it helps. It puts me in a place where I feel more centered and then I can do whatever it is that I need to do next. So that's a positive centering statement for me for some that's reason. That's awesome. And then um, another one, and this happened a lot when I was training for one of my Ironman triathlons back in the day, because there'd be situations where I would start to be like, well, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and I've got to swim this far and then bike this far and then run this far and I'd get very overwhelmed and I would focus on here's where I am now, which is I'm swimming Mm. or I'm biking or I'm running. And then I would have the thought, my negative thoughts are small and my positive thoughts are big. And I picture Alice in Ooh, Wonderland. So you know the whole Lewis Carroll scene, Alice in Wonderland, where she obviously she's, it's like an LSD scenario, but she <laughs> she's taking... As one does. As Lewis Carroll did. Uh, and then things get bigger and things get smaller. So the visual of me... or or me visualizing my positive thoughts getting bigger and my negative thoughts getting smaller is calming for me if I start to do that anxious, overwhelmed, stressy thing. So that's part of my self-talk as well. My positive thoughts are big. My negative thoughts are small. So that's another one. The other one that is, the other one that's really helpful for me, and this is something that I've, uh, I guess, nurtured in my practice as a chiropractor is that in my world as a healthcare provider, people tell me stressful things because they come in and they're stressed. And obviously I want to do the best I can to take care of all of them, including their mental and psychological well-being. And when they tell me stressful things, I learned that early in my career, I would feel the stress in my own body and I would start to take on the stress of what they were telling me. And then I practiced breathing and making sure my body was calm. And I would say in my own mind, as I was listening, this isn't mine. And it allowed me, what I realized was that it allowed me to still be in a space where I could be empathetic. I could still offer a safe container so that they would feel comfortable sharing and, you know, venting, but I wasn't taking on my own body so that my own health wasn't being affected by it. So that's another thing that I often will say, whether, whether I'm working in my practice or just in life, if I feel something and I know it's not mine, I'll remind myself by using that self-talk. This isn't mine. That's good. Because I would think with what you do, I, I mean, like, you can't like mind and body are integrated in that way. Like that's, so I can see why there would be, it wouldn't just be people's needs physically of their bodies. It would be related. So that makes sense. And I love that line of this isn't mine. I think that's great. That's one that I could definitely. And I also visualize like that, you know, that whole visual of water off a duck's back. When I think that thought, this isn't mine, I picture the energy of that stressful talk or whatever it is that's being relayed to me, just kind of going around me and off of me. Mm. So there's, it's, there's something powerful about self-talk in that narrator and learning to listen to what the narrator is saying and sort of, uh, I guess, channel it in a way that's more positive. 
So for sure, when I'm regularly meditating, that narrator has more of a productive voice and it's less frenetic and more positive. So there's very cool. So those are the things that when I thought about this question that came up for me. So um, how about you? What, What are your thoughts when you read that question? I think, I mean, I definitely resonate, like you said, with that, like, this isn't mine and taking on other people's feelings, like I completely, um, in terms of the internal narrator and talking about the book club question. Um, and if I was to describe my inner voice, I would say kind of, you know, like I, I've heard a lot of people talk about it where you go over scenarios that happened. Maybe you potentially rehearse for scenarios that might happen where you're your brain is practicing for what you would do in case. And I mean, 99% of the time, it's completely useless of things that would never happen. Um, it's, it reminds me of almost how your brain goes back to like being stuck on a jingle or something like that. Like it's, it's very not useful chatter. Um, and I mean, I think we all, I know at a, a recent team building for work, we had this like to think like, what is your most common kind of thought that if you could deduce everything back down and distill it, what would be that common kind of negative tape in your head that goes over? And we were all talking about that. Um, and I mean, because that can have such an influence on your day and how you react to events. And I think that inner voice is developed you know, over such a long period of time that we often are not even aware of it because it is so ingrained, um, in the way we think. So, and I mean, most people's inner dialogue is not all that positive. Um, yeah, I know a I lot think of that's children true. who have an amazing inner dialogue and they'll tell you about it. Um, and kind of, you know, such a positivity. I have a colleague whose daughter is just so, uh, she's such a bright light and she's so, you know, everything is great. And I just, I get a real charge out of that because I think it's so cool before, you know, you get older and that starts to shift. So, I mean, yeah, I, I thought it was great that he talked about that because I think it's so relatable for most people, right? You were just talking about the thinking about things that had happened or preparing for scenarios that might happen. I think that's probably something everyone can resonate with. And especially if you've been in a situation where you said something and then you go home, you think about it and play it over 25,000 times. And you think of all the cool stuff you should have said or could have said, or if you were going to be in that situation, you would say it this way. And then I would have come across like way stronger and way more powerful and way smarter. Everybody does that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And And I think it's something that hopefully shifts with age a little bit. I feel like the older I get, the less of that I do. I do it less now too. And it's also interesting that the more positive I am in general, when I start to do those playback things, I get to a point where I've done it enough times where I'm like, yeah, that's not really serving me. And then I just stop, just move on. Yeah. I find the closer I get to 40, the better it gets. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. There's something about it. Something about 40 that really helps. All right. You ready for question two? Sure. All right. And are we going to post a link to this list of questions? Do you think is that useful for people? Yeah, I'll put, yeah, I'll put all of these questions that we're asking in the show notes, which you can find at drpeggymalone.com forward slash podcast and every other link or resource that we talk about in this episode, you'll find there as well. And if I feel like making a lot of work for Peg, I'm just going to start blurting out tons of random things that she'll have to reference. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I totally look forward to that. Uh, okay. Question two, Dan admits that he initially thought meditation was silly, new agey nonsense. 
What factors and events change his opinion? What does he, or sorry, why does he finally attempt meditation and what led him to fully embrace it? Trace his arc from before his panic attacks to where he is today. How did meditation help him tame his inner voice? So can I just say, sure. um, to the, to the person who wrote this question, simmer down. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. We're not, Anyhow. we're not writing an essay in high school anymore. We just want to like right? have some discussion about a book. <laughs> Right? Like most people's book clubs involve wine. Okay? Yeah, you're right. Just saying. Like, calm down. Like, maybe this author needs to, of these questions, needs to meditate. Oh my goodness, what a great suggestion. I like it. Hashtag full circle. All right, let me uh, tell you what uh, I got out of this question, and I'll give you the synopsis of what happened in the book from my perspective. Okay. So, Dan had some intense experiences with, with reporting when he was doing reporting on war overseas. He was seeking adrenaline and the thrill of war and reporting on those experiences. And then when he got home, drugs became a substitution for that thrill. Then he had his on-air panic attack. Then he went to see a therapist as a result of the panic attack. And he stopped taking drugs with the help of the therapist. Then he took on reporting all things religious and spiritual and was introduced to Eckhart Tolle and his writings. He was intensely skeptical at first. Um, and then this quote in Tolle's book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, uh, Harris really resonated with it. And it's a cool quote. It says, our entire lives are governed by a voice in our heads. This voice is engaged in a ceaseless stream of thinking, most of it negative, repetitive, and self-referential. It squawks away at us from the minute we open our eyes in the morning until the minute we fall asleep at night, if it allows us to sleep at all. Talk, talk, talk. The voice is constantly judging and labeling everything in its field of vision. Its targets aren't just external. It often viciously taunts us too. He realized he was a pro at avoiding the present moment. Happiness was elusive thing. He says that the only time he remembers being present was when he was in a war zone or on drugs. Wow. He was looking for a practical action plan to stay in the moment and tame the voice in his head when he met Tolle. And this is what I love about the practical action plan. He's such a type A personality and hardcore that it has to be a practical action plan. So um, he met Deepak Chopra six weeks later. And then shortly after that, at his wife's encouragement, he started learning about Buddhism. And he met Mark Epstein, who is a professor and writer that talks about Buddhism. Um, And then here is where he found the actual practical program that he'd been looking for, which was meditation. And he was against the idea and resisted it at first. So you have something else that you wanted to add to this after that. Yes. So, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to also recap because you did a great job. I would not disagree with any of that, but the, the really funny thing that struck me about reading this was that his path to discovering this was eerily similar to mine. So I came across Eckhart Tolle back when Oprah uh, began to do like online. Well, no, it was like an online slash TV hybrid of these courses. And I partook in it and it was called, it was based on a new earth. And they were these live webcasts that happened once or twice a week. And what you would do is you would read along. So it was kind of like a book club with the world because there was millions of people. 
and you'd read a chapter of the book and then she would be live with Eckhart and they would discuss it. And it was fascinating. So I remember reading this Eckhart Tolle book and it completely blew my mind. Um, like this whole concept of, you know, like really looking at your inner dialogue and, and the practice of meditation in order to really, uh, observe that separation. And I, so I just found it interesting because, and I found I could relate to Dan because that was also how I learned about it. And, um, yeah, so I, I just thought that was funny because, you know, to kind of see what it takes to get that to click in with you, because it's not an easy concept to grasp if you're not into any of this stuff at all. And especially if it only, like we talked about when we first introduced the idea of meditation, people just think of it as like Buddhists floating above a pillow. And that just seems way outside anybody's frame of reference for anything. So it just seems really weird. Well, and I think like that whole common thought that it's like, you're not thinking and that you have to be quote unquote, like good at it. Or people say like, oh, I could never do that. And it's like, but that's the whole point, right? Is to, to work on it. Meditation practice, not meditation. Perfect. Right. Yes. Um, Eckhart Tolle, he refers to the voice in our head as the ego, which leads us into question three for 10% happier. It says throughout the book, Harris talks about the ego. The ego is constantly comparing itself to others. What is ego? How does ego contribute to our success and our unhappiness? So a lot of times when people hear the word ego, they go back to psychology 101 that they might've taken in college or university. And that's the Freudian version of a psychological mechanism. Like the ego or the id, is that? Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's not what Tolle is talking about. It's also not sort of the more, um, I guess, colloquial version of what we might think of ego, which is pride or conceited or what anybody might think it is. So the ego, according to Tolle is the inner narrator, the sense of I, So when we are unaware of this voice, we blindly act out our thoughts and often the results are not pretty. The ego is never satisfied. No matter what we buy, consume, have, the ego never feels complete. It has us measuring ourselves against others, looks, wealth, social status, and success. And the ego thrives on drama. The ego is obsessed with the past and the future at the expense of the present. We live almost exclusively through memory and anticipation. But that doesn't work to find happiness because it is quite literally always now. The present moment is all we have. Uh, Deepak Chopra says that when you are totally present, whatever the situation is, good or bad, it's going to pass. The only thing that remains is the moment. It's the transform- transformational vortex to the infinite, which is a little bit out there, but Deepak Chopra is the bomb. The bomb.com? You got it. What were you going to add to that? Well, I... I agree with what you said. I, at some point, Oh, and by the way, I basically took all that out of the book. So that wasn't out of my own brain. Oh, (laughs) dang girl, you smart. (laughs) So I think, so this whole talk about the ego, I think it's revolutionary. And that's, you know, when we're talking about a new earth, I mean, that whole concept that, you know, you and that voice in your head, that's separate. That's not you. That's a, if you can get your head around that, that's a pretty revolutionary shift that you can make. Yeah, that's um, a high level concept that most people would not even necessarily consider. That's a brain bender. Yeah, it's a good um, one. So I have heard, and I cannot find where I heard this, but I have heard the statement that it's ego is anytime we feel like more or less. Oh, I like so that. So kind of like anything that makes us feel better than or less than 
that is the ego. And I really yeah, like that definition. I like that and I, I wish I could find where I, but anyhow, that said, I think that it's a really good definition because truthfully, it's, I mean, anytime if you're feeling superior to someone and you're kind of high on yourself, that's your ego. If you're feeling down on yourself and less than, that is yeah. your ego. So I think that that's, um, that's a cool way of defining it, I think. Yeah, I like um, that too. And I mean, when you say that, you know, how does ego contribute to our success and our unhappiness? Well, I mean, ego, a lot of times is what gives us that striving. Because what gives us that competitive, right? If you mm -hmm. want, if you feel like less and you want to be more, um, I mean, it can lead to a lot of what I'll call external uh, success, uh, like what can appear to it. Um, but it can also lead to unhappiness because it's ego is comparison, yeah. which comparison we all <laughs> we've heard it many times. Comparison is the thief of joy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think that this the whole conversation about the ego is so relevant to the entire thing, but yeah. Cool. All I right. like it. I like it. Um, I'll, read, like I'll, it I'll go into question four. The Thanks pursuit, girl. You got it. The pursuit of happiness becomes the source of our unhappiness. What message is Harris conveying with this sentence? Do you agree? How do you define happiness? Are we a culture that places too much emphasis on being happy or are we just going about it the wrong way? What made Dan unhappy in his life? How did meditation help him achieve 10% more happiness? And how could it help you? What are your thoughts on this, Jenny? So I, um, in that sentence, the pursuit of happiness becomes the source of our unhappiness. I agree because in my opinion, I think that the pursuit of happiness or like the striving, um, can make us feel like if we're looking for something that we don't already have it. So I think that there is some peace in feeling like whatever you have uh, or whatever it is you're striving for, if you're really truthful, you already have it. It makes me think of um, The Wizard of Oz. And at the end of the movie, um, you know, the whole time she's, you know, clicking her heels, trying to get home. And Glenda the Good Witch says to her, you know, you've, you've had it all along. And that's the whole crux of the movie was she had it all along and it was on her feet the whole time and she could use those slippers those ruby slippers to get home and I think that there's some interesting takeaways from that and I mean there's a lot of writing on the Wizard of Oz and it's kind of spiritual connotations but I think that it's interesting because when Glenda says to her you had it all along to me that's what this speaks to is whatever you're looking for you had it all along and you can access that feeling through your stillness, which you can through meditation. So that's, I don't know on how big of a tangent that is, but that's what I take from this. And I think that that pursuit of happiness inherently makes us feel like we don't already have it. If you're striving for it, it's hard to catch. It's, um, you know, even I think about a line from a Sheryl Crow song where she says, it's not getting it's not having what you want. It's wanting what you have. And I think that's such a cool kind of sentiment in terms of realizing that you already have it within you. Um, and it's just tapping into that. So that's what I get from that. I don't know what you think, but um, I think that my perception of reading Dan's book is that I think that's how he achieved that 10% more happiness was 
that stillness that it created and realizing a lot of the things that he was in pursuit of were things he already had and that it was the pursuit in itself that, um, and that striving that made it difficult. And I think we've mentioned the, um, minimalism documentary before, but that, that speaks about it a ton about how, you know, we're led to believe that, you know, we're striving. It's always, it's always happiness is just around the corner. It's the bigger house. It's the shirt. It's whatever that's just around the corner. That's going to make us happy. And it never is. So, so it might've been the minimalists, but just on this note, the thing that helped me to kind of solidify this in my own head is kind of reverse engineering this concept. I heard this quote that said, if you think about what you have now in the recent past, you wished that you had it. I have heard that. That's so true. Right? Eh? So the stuff you have now you once were striving for, and you still are in this space where you're striving for more. So if you think about what it is that you really want now, ultimately, you're not going to feel that much different once you get yes. it. It's about yes. being present in this moment and appreciating, okay, this is what I've got. And yes, obviously, you still want to do the best you can to create a positive situation and work towards what you want. But knowing that you have things now that you were once striving for, that was so powerful for me. Yeah. I read that recently as well. And it's like everything that you have right now was something you dreamed of. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. That's good. That's a, I feel like, was that like something we texted? I I don't know. know, Maybe. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe you sent it to me. Oh, you're so, you're so wise, Jenny. Yeah. Give me credit without us actually verifying that. Let's just go ahead and do that. It was one of us that came up with that concept for sure. (laughs) Oh yeah. We wrote it all. Uh, (laughs) All right. In terms of the book, they asked the question, uh, what made Dan unhappy in his life? And he really is that type A striving all the time, anticipation of the future, memory of the past. And ultimately what happens is the meditation allows him to stay more in the moment and focus on the present. And that's really what like the bottom line is with meditation is being present and mindful of where you are. Mm-hmm. At least that was from, from my perspective on it. Yeah. No, I'm right with you on that. All right. I feel like we, uh, I feel like I went on a tangent, but I feel like we addressed that question. I feel like we can say whatever we want. It's our podcast, right? And if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, you and I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. We will be entertained. If you're listening, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, it's been a long road and we're going around the long way, but we'll get there. You got it. Uh, so next question. Meditation is about becoming more mindful. Describe mindfulness and how it can be beneficial. Dan writes that mindfulness is an alternative to living reactively. Expand on his statement. How does one live reactively? Were you surprised by the number of mainstream organizations Dan mentions that have adopted meditation. So this kind of goes along with what we've described before, um, where with mindfulness, you're increasing the space between stimulus and response. It allows you to change from being reactive to a situation. And instead you're taking a beat and then responding. So this is useful. I find, especially in stressful, tense, or potentially confrontational interactions when you can take a second and then respond instead of just react And um, in terms of the question about the number of mainstream organizations, it's so in the zeitgeist right now, mindfulness and meditation are are seen so much now that it's positive that every big organization is taking it on. And as we discussed in another previous episode that Tim Ferriss asks all of those very successful people 
and over 80% of them have some kind of a mindfulness or meditation practice, people know that it works and they are using it to really get the razor's edge of success. Yes. I think it's that, um, I've heard it referred to before as like that time for integration because we're so busy and we're going, we're doing, but we're not taking that reflection time to really integrate all of these experiences and, um, give our minds a a chance to process it. So I think that that's, that's cool. And I know even, um, you know, he talks about like that there's a lot of, you know, mainstream organizations adopting meditation. I will say even the company that I work for, we, um, as part of team building will go through, you know, whether it's meditation, um, I know we've a couple of times done uh, hot yoga, we will do something before doing, um, meetings and teamwork, uh, like team building, in order to kind of get us all in a similar kind of headspace uh, before we start. And it's, I, I think it's very effective. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Question six, a big part of mindfulness is about being present. Dan admits I was a pro at avoiding the present. Why is it difficult for so many people to be present, to be in the moment? Take a few minutes with your group to focus on the moment, share what you are feeling, the sensations you experience in your body yada, yada, yada. Dan called mindfulness (laughs) a superpower. Do you think that it is? Do you believe that mindfulness can change the world? This is another one of those questions where that girl needs to simmer down. I'm assuming girl. Is that rude? I don't know. It might've been a dude. Either way, simmer down. Yeah. Gear down, big rig. (laughs) The only thing that I want to, uh, to add to this is that, um, Tole answers Dan's question about staying in the present with this awesome quote. Make the present moment your friend rather than your enemy. Because many people live habitually as if the present moment were an obstacle that they need to overcome in order to get to the next moment. And imagine living your whole life like that, where always this moment is never quite right, not good enough because you need to get to the next one. That is continuous stress. I think that definitely mindfulness is a superpower. Uh, I think that anybody who does a meditation challenge like we are, I think it definitely makes you feel more alert. Like you say, it helps to put some distance between stimulus and response, which I think is, that can be very transformational uh, in a day-to-day basis. And I think- Not only at work, but also in your relationships, like with kids or with your partner. Like, yeah. My goodness. Absolutely. I know um, in terms of parenting, massive, uh, massive shift to just- remind yourself. Um, I always say like, you know, meditation is fascinating. Like the more I meditate, my child is better behaved. (laughs) Somehow it makes him (laughs) behave better. Um, but it it really does. I mean, it can help you see things differently. It's like it, it changes the lens that you're looking at the world through. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of that happening about avoiding the present. And I think there's so many different ways we all do it, whether it's like mindless rumination, like going over things in your head, whether it's eating, whether it's the constant scroll, the constant scroll on the, on the device. Oh my gosh. Which is why you and I are going to have to, at some point do a little tech detox challenge. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, definitely a superpower. Midway through the book, Dan describes his first retreat, discuss that experience and what he learned from it. Have you ever been on a retreat? And if not, would you be interested in attending one? Could you go with little conversation and no outside stimulants, books, television, the internet for a week or two? What do you think? Could you do it? 
I think I could. I've often considered because I've had a few people in my world ask me to go with them on a three day silent retreat. And for whatever reason, I resisted. And I know that there's value. And that conscious intellectual part of my brain is like, yeah, I should do that. But for whatever reason, that, you know, backside part of my brain is like, not quite ready. I'm a bit, it's a bit scary, a bit uncomfortable. But I know that most things that make me feel like that lead to positive growth and and change. So it's definitely something that I do want to do at some point because I really feel like when you get to that place where there's nothing to do except for look at your own self and listen to that voice in your head and there's no constant scroll on your device and no TV to distract you, no books and no conversation and no whatever, it would be yes. really good. So I, yeah, definitely. Um, what um, are your thoughts on Dan and his, uh, his retreat? Well, I... I would say out of the whole book, I really, really like this chapter. And I was so glad to hear his honesty about the struggles during the retreat. Um, I would say I'd be interested in attending this type of retreat. But my instant reaction is kind of like, oh, I don't know, too long, too far away. I don't know. Like, and I I am a little bit fearful of that, I guess I would say. Um, That said, if I was going to do something like this, I would love to try transcendental meditation Uh, where you go in and you have this immersive experience and then you come out of it with a mantra. And that's a very specific kind of meditation, which I've heard great things about. Um, The thing that I really liked about this chapter where he, the chapter seven that's called retreat is his honesty about when he, like he had that like breakthrough and it was going really well and he was really feeling it. And then it was followed by it not going as well. I loved his honesty about that because I would say in the last 26 days, I've definitely had those highs and lows, like those days where it's feeling really good and I'm really into it. And then it can be like the next three days are just garbage. Um, So I was really glad to read that. I felt very uh, reassured by it that that was normal. So um, so I I was interested to read it and, and see what that experience was like for him. Dan often talks about being skeptical skepticism a good thing what's the difference between skepticism and cynicism when is skepticism productive and when is it negative how does dan overcome his skepticism throughout the book whether to meditation meta or the idea of enlightenment itself oh that's a big one Uh, that's a big question what do you think uh i can give you uh, a quote from the book that was helpful in sort of Uh, I guess, defining Dan Harris's skepticism. And he said this, meditation struck me as the distillation of everything that sucked hardest about the granola lifestyle. I pictured myself seated in an unbearable cross-legged position in a room that smelled like feet with a group of smug, quote, practitioners ringing bells, ogling crystals, intoning om, and attempting to float off into some sort of cosmic goo. (laughs) Respect, Dan Harris. (laughs) Definitely. Respect. So in terms of skepticism, I feel like skepticism can be very helpful. In my mind, it's sort of the opposite of naivete. And I think it's probably helpful for people to negotiate the world with a little bit of healthy skepticism to make sure that they're not taken advantage of, to make sure that they are looking at the world in a way that allows them to learn something without being taken advantage of. I guess the difference between that and cynicism is no matter what happens, whenever you you just think it sucks. I think, and I also think cynicism is rampant today. Absolutely. Um, Yes. And it's, I remember Conan O'Brien, he said he, in his last, you know, when that whole thing happened with him, when he got the tonight show and then it was 
then he didn't have it anymore. And he talked about on his on his last episode, he talked about cynicism and about how really there's truthfully no place for it. And it gets you nothing. And I think the difference between skepticism and cynicism, I think uh, cynicism is amped up skepticism. I think that skepticism can be very productive. And I think that it's a it can be a very healthy thing. But I think if it keeps you from experiencing good things, like if you're cynical, you know, like so amped up uh, skepticism, if you're say cynical about meditation, and it keeps you from trying something that can be incredibly positive, then I think it's very negative. Um, and I think that it was cool in the trajectory of this book to see Dan overcome that skepticism uh, through repeat, just exposing himself over and over to these different people. And I mean, it was through his work and he was also interested in it in his personal life. So it was cool to see him work through this. And, you know, every time he came across something new, like when it was meditation, meta, the idea of enlightenment itself, it was cool to see him kind of progress through that and overcome his skepticism. And he also resisted at first and then slowly was open enough to come back to it and be like, okay, what's the positive here? Is there something here for me? So that was kind of neat to watch him go through that process too. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know, there's a tendency to be black and white. And I think it's cool to see someone be open to something and rather than shut it down right away, which I think can happen a lot with meditation. Sure. Well, it's also really cool in this book to watch him go through it, especially because now we can use it as an, as an example to point to those people in our lives that we know are, who are skeptics, skeptics, but potentially also cynics and be like, Hey, like there's something here. This is anecdote, but there's also really fantastic research that shows how fantastic this this can be. So get yourself into this world. If you're, if you want to be less cynical and happier. For sure. Maybe 10%, maybe 10%, just, yes, you got it. 10% happier. Next question. In the preface, Harris writes, what I'm attempting to do in this book is demystify meditation and show that if it can work for me, it can probably work for you too. Does he succeed while reading the book or having finished it? Have you tried to meditate? If so, talk about your experiences. If not, discuss what is holding you back. So obviously you and I are meditators, but I hope that if some of our listeners have read the book, they will have been convinced to at least attempt the meditation. So if you're listening and you tried meditation for the first time after listening to us talk about it or after reading this book, we want to hear about it. So send us an email at theimprovementproject at drpeggymalone.com or reach out to us on the socials. Jenny is on Twitter at jkouse and I'm on Instagram at drpeggymalone. You can also get our attention by using the hashtag theimprovementproject. Yeah, I'd be really interested to hear from someone who'd never tried it before. Yeah, that, I would, find be a, now that like would be a cool a perspective of, for sure. Yeah, like most people now... I feel like, well, maybe people in our realms that have maybe tried it. Um, But it's always fascinating when someone's trying it for the first time to get that like fresh experience. So if that's you, if you're one of those people who had never tried meditation before coming on board this challenge with us, definitely let us know. Even if you're feeling shy and you're a bit of a lurker and you're not somebody that really reaches out, go to one of the socials or send us a a private message that (laughs) other people won't see. We want to hear about it for sure. We're excited to hear that uh, that experience. Get real lurky about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, last question. What did you take away from reading 10% Happier? Gianni. I took away from reading 10% Happier. I think it was cool to, I will say it as get to know Dan a little bit better. Uh, 
I think it was cool to, for me, it was cool to kind of re-up why it's important to meditate um, and put a little bit of focus on it. So I was really glad to read it to, you know, as part of us recommitting to the meditation habit. Um, I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think it's a, I think it's a great gateway for people to get into meditation to start with uh, a book like this. And I would also be interested in checking out Dan's other book. Um, I saw it. I, it's very similar, but it's meditation, I think for fidgety skeptics, which is an uh, awesome title. Oh man, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, and I would be interested in checking that out because I think that would be another cool little, little gateway. What do you think? Um, I just want to say that, um, it was a great confirmation and I'm glad to be back to meditation. It was, this book was helpful for me to go, Oh yeah, like this is something that I should be doing, even if it's not something that immediately feels like I'm going to get the biggest bang for my buck the first time I try it. Yes. Hanapi, as the kids say. Hanapi. Yeah, you're right. That's what they say. That's it for our book report. Let's talk about what we're going to do next week. Next week is our wrap up already of month two. Our month two challenge is coming to an end. And so next week we will wrap it up. We'll talk about all the things we learned and we will introduce what our September challenge will be. And that's it for this episode of The Improvement Project. Remember to let us know if you read the book 10% Happier by Dan Harris and what you thought. Email us or send us a voice memo at theimprovementproject at drpeggymalone.com. You'll find all of the resources and links that we mentioned during today's show in the show notes at drpeggymalone.com forward slash podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. It really helps other people to find the podcast so that we can help as many people as possible to create new healthy habits. We would love to connect on the socials. You can always get our attention on the socials by using the hashtag The Improvement Project. We also have a Facebook group. Search for The Improvement Project on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Now go get to work on improving the most important project that you have. That's you. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay focused and get after it. Please feel free to go into the kitchen and grab me a cup of tea. I'm never going to take a breath through my nose. It's all through my mouth. This is my podcast voice. (laughs) I only have this voice now and will talk in it for the rest of my life.